Well, good morning, church. We can do. Thank you. We can do better than that, right? Good morning, church. You know, I could hear the people online louder than I could hear you guys the first time. So, hey, happy month of February. We have officially made it through the first full month of 2022, right, with success. Uh, Baltimore County has lifted the mask mandate, and for a lot of us, that's really exciting. The rest of you that's still wearing your masks, you're so welcome to wear your masks. Do not feel intimidated or bothered by the rest of us who don't have ours on, but we're thankful for that, right? Uh, the Winter Olympics began. Did anybody watch any Olympics this week? Wow, three of you. That was just like the first service. I watched a little bit of curling last night, probably one of my favorite Olympic sports. You know, you slide a chuck a rock on a piece of ice. I, I don't get it with brooms, but what a cool sport. Anyway, Super Bowl next week. Who's planning to watch football next week? I know the Ravens are out. I'm cheering for the Rams. You can cheer for the Bengals. I mean, they haven't been there in a while, so, I mean, it's all good. Right, and it didn't snow today, right? Earlier in the week, they're calling for snow, so I'm thankful for that. We've got a lot to be thankful for, a lot of good reasons um, to be glad to be alive. You know, for the first few weeks of 2022, uh, we were reminded in our Sunday morning teachings about who God has called us to be, who we are um, as, as a church, who we are as a kingdom of, of heaven, who we are as individuals. And we were reminded that we're to be people who love like Jesus. We were reminded uh, that we're to be people of worship and people of the Bible and, and people of relationships and people of the Great Commission. And, you know, I just want to remind you, we didn't talk about those things, me and Ben and Nick and Tim. We didn't, we didn't preach on those sermons because the elders and the staff sat around and said, man, we're just not doing very good at those things. No. In fact, I think that we're doing a great job at those things. I think that there's so many of you who are doing those things so well that, well, you, you, you provide encouragement uh, to the rest of us, that you are an inspiration, that you're an example of living like Christ, of loving like Christ. But the reality is that no matter how long that we've been following Christ, we are never beyond the need for additional encouragement. We are never beyond the need to be reminded of who we're to be in Christ. We're never beyond the need to once in a while have our course corrected should we start to drift. In fact, through all of the New Testament and the New Covenant part of our Bibles, we see these writers, Jude and, <clears throat> and John and James and Paul, and they're writing letters to individuals, and they're writing letters to churches and they're full of instruction and encouragement and correction and direction. And they're written to churches collectively as groups. And they're written specifically to individuals so that they would be reminded to know how to live and how to love like Jesus Christ. We're starting a new teaching series today, as Nick's already alluded to, uh, based out of a, a book that's one of those letters. One of those letters written to churches. It was Letter written to believers from a man we know of as Simon Peter, or for some, simply Peter. Now, you might be thinking in your mind, some of you might be kind of rewinding back the clock uh, and thinking back, well, didn't we just have a study on a book by Peter, you know, late last year, you know, August and September, and if you're one of those people, I wish I had a little gold sticker star for you, I'd say, good job, you've got a good memory, thank you for recalling that. Because we did, and in that series we addressed the idea that we have through Jesus Christ um, 
a, a living hope. And we read about that in the book of 1 Peter or the letter of 1 Peter. And as the name of that book or that letter would imply, if there's a first one, there must also be a second one. Right, good audience participation day, right? There's going to be a second one. And so uh, most of the time, I don't know, I can't remember ever doing a sermon series on 2 Peter. I don't remember teaching uh, out of 2 Peter. So I'm really glad that we get to because we are fortunate, we are blessed as believers that we have two uh, of the letters that Peter wrote um, I don't know whether he wrote more or not, right? We, we have these two. We have them at, at our fingertips. And those letters help us to love and live like Jesus. And so we're going to be diving into the study of the letter, the book of 2 Peter in our series entitled Peter 2. Peter 2. Now, if you are listening only and not watching online or not looking at the slide, you might not catch the, the wordplay there. It's Peter T-O-O, like Peter also. Yes, Peter wrote this one also. Now, I want to encourage you, maybe you're already on a reading plan, and if you're not, that's okay. Um, but if you are, I'm going to encourage you to deviate from your reading plan, your Bible reading plan this year a little bit. Because the book of 2 Peter is just three chapters long. So whatever three chapters it tells you to read, you know, Monday and Tuesday this week, skip that. Read 2 Peter. Let's read through it so we know what it is that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And if you're not on a Bible reading plan, maybe you're not reading your Bible at all, I encourage you. Pick up, a piece of, pick up a scripture, pick up a book, and read through uh, the book of 2 Peter. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, we have these Bibles on a rack back in the back. We would love for you to pick one up, take it home, keep it. It's yours, okay? If you come in on a Sunday morning and you want to follow along in a paper Bible and you didn't bring yours with you, feel free to grab one of those as well. Today, we're going to be on pages 981 and 982 um, out of this particular one with this picture on the front. So you guys are welcome to... To grab that. All right. Um, so anyway, it's a short book, but I'm going to go ahead and get us started by reading the first chapter of the of the book. So not sure why my phone's decided to talk to me, but it did. All right. Um, so in this in this first chapter uh, of Second Peter, it starts out this way. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse 5, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's 11 verses out of this short book, and there is so much there, so much good stuff right there. And you might be thinking, well, I, Virgil, wait a second, I've heard of Peter, like, give me a little refresh, right? Because I think it's always good to know who we're listening to, who's talking to us, who's coming at us. Peter had a brother, they were fishermen. Peter and Andrew were fishermen, they were uneducated, ordinary, common, everyday men. But they were both called and chosen by Jesus to become his disciples or ones who would follow after him. Ones who would experience firsthand the life and love of Jesus. And they would be entrusted to advance his kingdom. Not just while Jesus was here on earth but after he was gone to continue to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needed him. Peter himself was part of kind of an inner circle of the followers of Jesus. Peter and James and John, we read through the Gospels, we see... They got to do some things that not all the other guys got to be a part of. Peter was an impulsive guy. I'm sure he was a fantastic friend, but he was one of those speak first, think later sort of guys, right? Put his foot in his mouth from time to time. Um, he, he was one of those guys that, you know, when they were out on the boat and Jesus walked to them and the storm was raging and, and they're like freaking out because they see Jesus walking on the water. Peter, craziness. Like, Jesus, if that's really you, let me walk on the water to you. Who does that, right? You know he wasn't thinking. But he walked on the water to Jesus until he took his eyes off of him and sunk. Peter is the same guy who, when the disciples were sitting around with Jesus, and Jesus saying, well, who do people say that I am? And some are saying, well, some say you're one of the prophets, or, you know, you're some just great teacher. And he said, well, who do you guys say? And, well, everybody else is scratching their head, you know, like, I don't know. Peter's like, I know who you are. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one sent by God to bring salvation to us. Peter, Peter was a guy who, who didn't want Jesus to get arrested in the garden and literally pulled out a sword and cut off a guy's ear. Lesson here, never give a sword to a fisherman. If you're familiar with the rest of Peter's story, though, you know that it wasn't so pretty, Right? Jesus said, Peter, you're going to disown me. And Peter's like, of course I'm not going to disown you. And no, Jesus says, before the cock crows three times, you're going to disown me. And three times while Jesus was going through his trial, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And I'm sure it broke the Lord's heart, broke Peter's heart. But just as Jesus does to us, he reaches into our world and he restores us. And he did the same thing with Peter and he used him in mighty ways for his kingdom. And Peter became one of the most influential leaders of the early church. And he becomes today, and for the next few weeks, one of the most influential leaders in our lives as well. And it's Peter who reminds us these words. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. 
throughout the book of 1 Peter, these three chapters, we're going to be reminded along with the original recipients of the importance of Scripture, the danger of false teachers, the surety of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But Peter starts out by reminding us why he's even bothering to tell us these things. He starts out by saying, we have a precious faith. We have a precious faith. Faith. Now, some translations just kind of talk about a like faith or the same kind of faith. But the original language indicated that even this like faith, this, this kind of faith, is a precious faith, a faith full of value. And my, I ask you, my friends, this morning, when was the last time that you called your faith precious? When was the last time you called your faith precious? Now, you might say, well, I'm a person of faith. I try to live my life by faith. My faith is very important to me. But precious faith? Is it possible that we forget the value and the worth of the faith we've been given? Peter knew firsthand the value and the worth and the cost and the preciousness of that faith. He was there when Jesus was arrested and placed on trial and punished without cause and hung on a cross for our sins and for our faith. As we read through the book of Acts, we read that Peter himself was beaten and even put in prison for his precious faith. And Peter was an eyewitness to the church, this gathering of believers. And we, he saw that their very lives were placed on the line for proclaiming said precious faith. So when Peter speaks out about our precious faith, he knows what he's talking about. And we would do well as followers of Jesus to hold our saving faith in Jesus with the same reverence and respect as Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So to this audience, to the, to the church who shares in the same precious faith in our God and Savior, Peter prays that God would give them more and more grace more and more peace as they grow in their knowledge of God and of Jesus their Lord. And I believe that if Peter were among us, he would be praying for Fort Christian Church. He would be praying that we would have more and more grace, that we would have more and more peace as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. And unlike his listeners, those people that were receiving these letters, we are not living in the same kind of life-threatening persecution for our faith that they were. But just because we're not being tested in the same ways, it doesn't mean that life is not still difficult, that faith is not still hard. It doesn't mean that temptation for you and me isn't still constant, right? It doesn't mean that friends and families and co-workers and neighbors might think it's just to be a little off. They might think that we're fools because of our precious faith. And I wonder if sometimes, just like Peter's listeners, if we don't need those kind of reminders, that reassurance of who we are and what we've got. To me, it seems like as I read these first few verses of, of, of 2 Peter, that's like Peter's just extending this like long-distance hug to his friend, reminding them how precious 
their faith is. He goes on to say, we have everything we need to live a godly life. We have everything we need to live a godly life. Now that can be taken somewhat out of context. So let me read that again from 2 Peter 1 verse 3. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Listen, I need to remind you this morning that we don't have all we need because we are personally strong enough. We don't have all we need because we are experts at mind over matter. It's not because we have a mantra of no pain, no gain. It's, it's not even because we play hurt. We certainly don't have everything we need because our Father in Heaven is sitting on the sideline yelling at us, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Now, Peter clarifies why we have this because he shares these thoughts. He says, we have all that we need because God has given it to us by what? By his divine power. God has given it to us by his divine power. So when we feel weak, when we feel tempted, when we feel like we can't stand against the lure of Satan, we feel like we're not strong enough to resist the enemy, it's okay. We're not strong enough. It's not our power. It's not our strength. Never was. You see, we have everything we need to live a godly life because we operate not under our power, but under God's power. And I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? You see, we have everything we need to live a godly life. Peter said, we have everything we need to live a godly life because Jesus himself called us into a relationship with him. And think about this. If we can trust Jesus with our eternity, certainly we can trust him with our day-to-day. And if we can trust that Jesus will go before us as our advocate in front of God, the Father himself, certainly Jesus can go before us against the temptations of the evil one. Peter also said we have all we need to live a godly life because We serve Jesus who not only makes promises to us, but makes good on his promises to us. Peter says, these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I think that whole corruption caused by human desires, that's pretty clear. That pretty much makes sense. But we can get kind of hung up, I think, sometimes on this divine nature thing. As if somehow we're kind of buying into the lie that Satan told Eve, you know, that we could become like God. Or maybe we've been listening to some false teachers that would tell us that you can become God or you already are a God. And I believe Peter was writing and I believe his, his readers understood that that there are two basic natures. There is a human nature or a sinful nature. Or some of you might have grown up in a church where it was simply called the flesh. All right. This was the nature that ruled us before we came to faith in Christ. It was a natural and a normal thing for us. And it was all about pleasing three things. Me, myself, and I. But see... For the believer, there's a new nature. We're a new person. We're a new creation. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament part of our Bibles, encouraged the church at Colossae 
in Colossians chapter 3 with these words. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Paul also wrote to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. You see, when Peter talks about our divine nature, he's talking about us allowing God's Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to allow God's Spirit to take over, to take control. And in that process, we take on His nature and His attributes and His character. And we no longer have to be controlled by our human nature or our sinful nature. Pick up again in verse 5. Peter says, in view of all this. I mean, you got to see in view of all this, you kind of got to look back. What do we talk about? In view of what? Well, in view of knowing that by God's great power and God's great promises that we have everything we need to live a godly life. In view of all this, because of it, in light of it, as a result of it, because we know the truth of it, however it works for you to remember it, Peter says, because of all this, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now some of you might be thinking, well, this sounds like a contradiction, Pastor. Sounds like, you know, just a minute ago you said we already have everything we need. Well, we do. Maybe you're thinking in your mind, well, wait a second, I've read another part of the Bible where it says the, the fruit, the Holy Spirit produces these, these kind of fruits in us, right? The Holy, Holy Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the Holy Spirit's job to, you know, just kind of make that kind of, kind of happen for us. Well, he does. And you might be thinking, well, man, pastor, these sound like good works to me, right? Are you saying we've got to do these good works in order to be saved? I'm not. See, we're not saved by our moral excellence or our knowledge. We're not saved by our self-control and our love. We're saved by placing our faith in the finished work of what Jesus did for us on the cross and the proof of his promises fulfilled through his resurrection. That's where our precious faith comes, faith like Peter's. And yes, the Holy Spirit is changing us. Yes, the Holy Spirit does produce fruit in us. He is continually in the process of conforming us into the very image of Christ. But God's Holy Spirit is not going to take us where we're not willing to go. And he's not going to shape us into someone that we don't really want to become. And so just because we've been given everything we need to live a godly life doesn't mean that we are using everything that we have been given to live a godly life. Let me say that again. Just because we have been given everything we need to live a godly life doesn't mean that we are using everything we have been given to live a godly life. We're a little audience participation here for a second. This is a fill in the blank. You guys ready? 
Practice makes a little louder. Practice makes practice makes perfect. Friends, we've been told wrong all our life. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes improvement. Practice makes us better. Think about it. I can throw a football, right? A lot of you can too, but I'll never be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, right? But I guarantee if I threw a football for a half an hour, an hour every single day, guess what? I get better, right? Um, I can never snowboard like Sean White. I guarantee I'd probably break something. But if I didn't break something, I would never become as good a snowboarder as Sean White. But that doesn't mean that if I didn't practice over and over again, that I wouldn't get better. You see my point? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to mature us in our faith. Peter himself lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, ate meals with Jesus, preached sermons about Jesus, and thousands of people came to faith. Peter went to jail for his faith, but he never sat back and said, I'm good, right? I've arrived, I am fully mature, and my faith looks just like God's nature, right? We, he never said that. No, Peter says, put in the practice. He says, make the effort. Supplement your faith. Why? Because it saves you? No. You don't do it so that you can be saved. We do it because we have been saved, because we have the precious faith that comes with our salvation. And when we do, people will see our changed life and they will be drawn to Jesus Christ. And you know what else? Jesus himself in John 15, 8 says, When you produce much fruit, you're truly my disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. When we put it into practice, we will draw people to Jesus and we will give glory to to God. Peter goes on to tell us in verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 1, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's he telling us to do? Well, just like any talented athlete, just like any talented musician or, or doctor or teacher or chef, they start with what they've got and then they just keep adding to it. They just keep adding to it. And the same is with our faith. We simply add to it. There's no tricky faith math rules, no spiritual bodmas, you know, brackets, orders, divisions, multiplications, right? Remember, Peter was a fisherman. He had to know how to count, right? So nothing but addition for him, right? If you want to be productive, Peter says, and useful in the kingdom, he says, add moral excellence to your faith. Some call it virtue. I like that word. But moral excellence, it's not rocket science. It's simply recognizing what's right and what's wrong. And we're usually pretty clear in the differences, although we oftentimes choose to do the things we know are wrong, just because we choose to do so. That's our old nature kind of taking over, right? Peter says, if you want to be productive and useful in the kingdom, add knowledge to your faith, right? Sometimes ignorance is bliss, but it doesn't know how to help, it doesn't, know, it doesn't help us to know how to live out our faith. Or how to share what we believe. It doesn't even help us to understand why we believe what we believe. Peter says, if you want to be productive and useful in the kingdom, add self-control to your faith. 
choose to be the one who masters their own desires and their own passions. And I hear over and over people saying that we can't do it. Oh, Virgil, the struggle's too hard. Somehow, we manage to curb our behavior so we don't get fired at work or kicked out of restaurants or embarrass ourselves by dropping the most inappropriate words in the church. Well, at least most of the time. See, if you want to be productive, Peter says, and useful in the kingdom, he says, add perseverance to your faith. That don't give up, that stick to it kind of attitude. Right? Sometimes that word is understood as an unwavering or an unswerving dedication, right? Have you ever pushed a snowblower? Have you ever driven a boat? Have you ever been on the zero turn and you're trying to make those nice straight lines across your yard? It doesn't happen because you're kind of stuck in the moment staring about where you're at. Because you've got a fixed object in the distance that you have set your eyes on. You've got a goal to reach. You've got a direction to go. And you've got a path to follow, right? And you practice it. We could go through the rest of these that Peter talked about that we need to add to our faith, but I think you get the point. So did Peter's readers. But in case they missed it, he says, verse 10, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you'll never fall away. Some of you who have been around for a little while will recall that almost six years ago I moved to Maryland from the great state of Missouri. Missouri is known as the show-me state. Show-me state. I'm not sure we gained that reputation for not trusting people, um, but somehow we did. I wonder sometimes if Peter might have been from Missouri. Because Peter said when it comes to our faith, we need to prove it. To show me. Right? And I'm guessing that maybe in Peter's day that there were some Christians who were simply content to rest in their faith. They never felt a need or a reason to grow in their faith, and they certainly didn't see a reason to ever show their faith. Couldn't possibly happen in the world in which we live right now, could it? Peter says we have all we need. But having all we need doesn't mean we don't need community. It doesn't mean we don't need accountability. It doesn't mean that we don't need a good commentary from time to time. Having all we need doesn't mean that once we're saved, we don't need to read the scripture for ourselves or, or have a mentor or listen to the pastor or invest in the lives of other people. See, Peter reminds us that if we are to have this like precious faith, that it needs to be living, that it needs to be growing, it needs to be active, and it needs to be showing My dad's in his 80s, and he's got a 90-acre farm in, in, in southern Illinois, and it should keep him pretty busy. But a couple of years ago, he decided he'd build himself a little greenhouse. I just kind of smile at it, you know. But my dad works in his little greenhouse, and I, you know, he'll talk to me on the phone, and he'll tell me, like, it's precious. Because he sounds like a little kid, like all excited about, you know, you know, I got lettuce up, you know, I got this up. Like, all these things are growing in my greenhouse. And, and it's neat to hear him talk about it because... Well, those things that he's working on, he's putting in the effort, and he's seeing the results, and they're growing. He's practicing, and he's seeing the results, and it's precious. 
Friends, we can rid ourselves of the stagnant and the unproductive and the stale sort of faith. And when we do, we will find that our growing faith, our showing faith, that it's precious. And when we rid ourselves of the excuses to say, well, I just can't help myself, or I'm not strong enough, or I don't know enough, or I don't have faith enough, when we can quit blaming our unproductive lives on the devil and realize that God has a greater life for us to live, that we can find that our, pray, our faith is precious. You see, if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a Christian, one seeking to be like him, we will want to be more productive. We will want to be more useful in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be a super Christian. We don't have to be a pastor. We don't have to be a Bible scholar. God's given us what we need. But neither can you simply rest in the fact that once you prayed a prayer or once you got baptized or once you took a class or once you got confirmed or once you took communion and then you just kind of rest in it and skate in it. No. You can't rely on your pastor, your small group leader, your parents to add to your faith. Peter says that because we have this precious faith, we need to add these things to it and allow the Holy Spirit to reshape our nature. Something we must all do. And we're invited to join with and come alongside and take advantage of what God has done and is doing in your lives. As we continue this month, and as we continue this series, let's keep those things in mind. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us all that we need. But just like anything else that we want to get better at, there's some effort involved, there's some practice involved, there's some work involved. Strip away our apathy, Jesus. Strip away our complacency. Help us not to be those who just simply are content to have faith and not do anything with it. Help us to learn to live a love, learn to live in a life of faith and to love a life of faith. Help us that our faith would be a reflection of you, that others would be drawn to you because of it, and then, Father God, that you would be glorified because of it. Thank you, Jesus, for the demonstration to us. Thank you for the example set before us. And thank you for the words of Peter that encourage us to have precious faith. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.